Hi everyone, it's time for another episode of Daily Gospel Exegesis. As always, what we want to do is provide a truly Catholic academic approach to Scripture. Really look at the text of Scripture, pull it apart, find out what Jesus was intending to teach here, and what the Gospel author was trying to communicate on the literal sense, which is where we should start as Catholics. Now today, if you go to Mass, the Gospel reading you'll hear is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, and then verses 12 to 14. Here's the reading. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls in front of pigs, or they may trample them and then turn on you and tear you to pieces. So always treat others as you would like them to treat you. That is the meaning of the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, Since the road that leads to perdition is wide and spacious, and many take it, but it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, we're in the Sermon on the Mount here, and this is a really interesting passage we have today because it's one of the places where the lectionary has taken a verse from one spot in the chapter and then a big gap, and then taken some verses from later in the chapter and put them together. Um, And we'll talk about why that might be. So in chapter 7, we're getting towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's all about contrasting true righteousness with false righteousness. Chapter 7 covers all sorts of topics. And we're looking at, as I said, two separate passages. We'll take each in turn, the two different parts of Matthew chapter 7. Prior to this, in verses 1 to 5, Jesus has been telling his followers not to condemn others for their sins. That's the famous do not judge passage. And he also tells them to be aware of their own sins before pointing out the sins of others so that they can avoid hypocrisy. So that's what he said up to verse 5. Now we get to verse 6. Scholars agree that it's kind of hard to see how verse 6 fits in there because verse 6 doesn't seem to connect with what Jesus just said or it doesn't really seem to connect with what he's about to say either. Normally, in these sermons, even when Jesus is doing uh, small little units of speech, it usually is pretty easy to see how it connects to the flow of language. But as we'll see here, this one seems to come in of nowhere. So Jesus in verse 6 is going to use two different animal metaphors that were common in that time in order to make his point. So start of verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Now, in that culture, dogs were usually not house dogs. They were actually wild, undomesticated dogs, and most of them were stray scavengers. They were actually quite dangerous. People stayed away from dogs. So dogs were not a pleasant thing. If you give dogs something precious in that culture, the dog is not going to treat it well. They're probably going to attack it because they don't know the value of the thing which is precious to you. They'll just maybe try and eat it or bury it. They'll won't treat it very well. That's Jesus' main point. You don't give to dogs what is valuable. Now, let's talk a bit about the word holy. The word he uses here is actually, do not give to dogs what is holy. So in Judaism, holiness was a term that was used for things consecrated for covenant worship in particular. To treat holy articles in a common manner would profane them. You did not give You would not even put holy things in an unholy place. And of course, giving it to a dog is incredibly unholy. So as we'll see, Jesus appears to be talking about his own words here. When he says the whole, when he's talking about the holy things, 
In this case, he appears to mean his own words are holy. So that's an interesting application. And then he gives us a second animal metaphor. Do not throw your pearls in front of pigs or they will trample them. Now, this is the same basic meaning as the dog one. If you give something valuable to a pig, they don't understand. They'll just trample on it. Now, this one is even stronger, though, because pearls were incredibly valuable in that culture and pigs were probably the most detestable animal to Jews. You probably know that Jews were not allowed to associate with pigs and there's lots of uh, reasons for that given in the Old Testament. So, for Jesus to bring up a metaphor involving giving pearls... To pigs, that would be the most one of the most shocking uh, comparisons Jesus could use. And then he even goes further. He says, lest the pig turn on you and tear you to pieces. Now, that's probably not the best translation. More literally, it just says, attack you. The pig turn on you and attack you. So, apparently what Jesus means here is that pigs were known to attack people that they saw as threats. Because the pig doesn't understand. He just thinks you're a threat. What does this verse mean? What is the holy thing and what does it mean to give it to swine and dogs? Well, firstly, the common understanding of this passage, you've probably heard this before, is something like this. Jesus is teaching that some people won't understand or listen when you try to preach the gospel. So give up and move on to someone else in that case. Now, it is quite hard to work out what Jesus means in context, because as I said before, it's so disconnected from everything that comes before and what comes after. There's no real clues in the surrounding passage. Usually there is when we do exegesis. We can look to the surrounding verses for clues, but we don't really have any here. I think the common interpretation is probably fairly accurate. Since Jesus at this point is speaking to those who primarily are already in the kingdom... It probably does mean something like this. There are some people that you should not try to share the mysteries of the kingdom with because they simply won't understand. That would make sense given everything Jesus has said about the kingdom. Not everyone will understand it. You need to have the gift of faith in order to understand the things of the kingdom of God. So Jesus here probably is saying there are some people who just won't understand the kingdom, so don't waste your time with them. I think that is a fair interpretation. But that doesn't answer the question of who would the swine or the dogs be? Who would these people be? There's two different answers here of who Jesus might be thinking of. First answer would be he's referring to Gentiles. Those were common derogatory words to describe Gentiles. Dogs or pigs were both words used um, at that time to represent Gentiles. But if we take that interpretation, we have to admit that Jesus is being quite insulting here. Um, to call uh, Gentiles dogs or pigs, although he does seem to do that in the uh, encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. So that's possible. Maybe he just means don't spread the kingdom to the Gentiles. I don't think that would be right, though, because all through the gospel, even in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus does spread the kingdom to Gentiles. So another interpretation, and this is probably more likely, is that Jesus is taking those well-known insult labels for Gentiles and he's using it to talk about anyone who's not welcoming of the gospel. That would be Jews or Gentiles. In other words, Jesus is saying that the good news of the kingdom is so sacred and so valuable that it must not be subjected to the contempt of those who have no interest in faith or repentance. I think that's a good way of phrasing it. If people show open disdain for the holy gifts of God, then Jesus here teaches that it's prudent 
to withdraw and take the good news elsewhere. It's not wise to waste time preaching to those who only get offended or don't understand the message. Now, that teaching of Jesus is hard. That might seem harsh that Jesus would say, don't waste your time preaching the gospel to some people. But it does have the same basic message as other things he says. Remember when he says, shake the dust off your feet when certain towns don't accept the message? We see that later in Matthew chapter 10. So Jesus does say things like this. Overall, this is a call to discernment. He's telling his disciples, including us, that when we're being, if we're going to be wise about how we share the good news of the kingdom, we do need to share it with all people in a sense. However, we also at some point need to make a distinction between those who are willing to listen and those who are not. We have limited time on earth and we want to, in a sense, maximize our time to uh, preach to those who are going to be open to it and not to waste our time with those who are not. Similar things come up in the book of Acts as well. Now, interestingly, this is not uh, on the literal sense, but on the spiritual sense, the early church used this verse in reference to the Eucharist. So the Didache, which is an early Christian document, used this verse to justify withholding the Eucharist from unbaptized people. That's an interesting application. Now, that was verse 6 of Matthew chapter 7. The next part is verses 7 to 11. We don't get to hear that today. Uh, That is read one time in the liturgical year, which is on Thursday of week one of Lent. And in those verses, Jesus teaches the famous phrases of seek and you will find. And also God gives good gifts to those who seek him. Those are all covered in verses 7 to 11. So you might like to go back through the podcast and look for the Thursday of week one of Lent episode where we look at those next few verses. Today's reading now skips up to verse 12. So apparently verse 6, the lectionary translators also recognize that verse 6 that we just heard is a strange one. It doesn't really fit anywhere. So they felt that it was best to uh, put it in front of uh, verse 12 in today's lectionary. So at least it gets covered once in the lectionary, even though it is a strange verse. So now we get to verse 12, always treat others as you would like them to treat you. A few things to say about this, and of course, another famous phrase of Jesus. Notice that Jesus says, treat others, not treat your neighbor. So this applies to all people. You've probably heard that this rule is called the golden rule, treat others as you would like them to treat you. And a lot of you would have heard that this rule is found in all religions. So it's not particularly revolutionary that Jesus would teach this. But there is a significant difference here. All the other religions tend to phrase the golden rule in the negative, as in, never do to anyone else what you would not want them to do to you. So it's phrased as a negative. And in fact, that's a quote from Tobit chapter 4, verse 15. So it was part of the Jewish religion as well. It's actually part of the Old Testament, although Tobit is only in Catholic Old Testaments. Certainly Jesus would have had this verse in mind. I think this is evidence that Jesus did believe in the Deuterocanon, because he is quoting a very famous maxim here from Tobit, but he's putting a positive spin on it, which no other religion has done. He's transforming this common golden rule teaching from a negative and phrasing it in a positive way. And that's probably something they hadn't heard before. Always treat others as you would like them to treat you. And then he goes on to say, this is the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets, that phrase summarizes the entire Old Testament. It's a Jewish way of talking about the Old Testament. 
So Jesus here teaches that everything in the entire Old Testament can be boiled down to that one rule. That's a pretty incredible statement. Jesus summarizes the laws of the Old Testament, not with ten commandments, but with one commandment. Always treat others as you would like them to treat you. Jesus actually says something very similar later in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. There he says the message of the law and the prophets can be distilled to two commandments. And in that case, one of them is love your neighbor as yourself, which is a very similar meaning to always treat others as you would like them to treat you. Why does Jesus bring this up now? Always treat others as you would like them to treat you. I think it's probably a summary statement of everything Jesus has been saying in the last couple of chapters about how to interpret the law. Jesus is saying this is the best way to interpret the Old Testament law. So essentially what he's doing here is he's saying this to his crowd. If you haven't understood anything else I've said in this sermon, this is your takeaway. Always treat others as you would like them to treat you. We need to remember that too. That's supposed to be, if you're going to summarize Christianity in one rule, according to Jesus, it's that. It's the golden rule. Jesus started the sermon, or at least the bulk of the sermon, in chapter 5, verse 17, with a reference to the law and the prophets. And here it is at the end. Again, he says, this is the summary of the law and the prophets. So basically, he's forming bookends around the sermon. He introduces law and the prophets and indicates that he's about to interpret it. And now he finishes his interpretation of the law and the prophets um, by bracketing it out once again with an overall statement of what the, the law and the prophets means. So Jesus is now going to use the imagery of gates. So in that time, cities surrounded by a fortified wall, including Jerusalem, they would have gates to permit access. So when Jesus uses this imagery of gates, they would have, um, the Jews would have thought of gates going into a city. So they would have certainly had that in the forefront of their mind. There was usually a main gate, which were wide and tall enough for heaps of people to come through, for animals, for large groups of people. So there was always a large gate, and sometimes there were smaller gates as well. And those smaller gates permitted only pedestrian traffic. So when Jesus is about to talk about the wide gate and the narrow gate, this is actually an image they would have been familiar with as part of their own cities. So Jesus says to them, Enter by the narrow gate. Enter what by the narrow gate? Jesus doesn't actually answer that. He just says enter. In context, I think we can confidently say he's talking about the kingdom of God. Enter the kingdom of God by the narrow gate. That's what his whole sermon is about. But what's the narrow gate? Well, again, we aren't told what the narrow gate is. But most likely, given its placement at the end of this sermon, it refers to all of the commandments Jesus has just said. That is the narrow gate, following Jesus' commandments. That would make sense, given that Jesus, right at the end of the sermon, will say, the man who follows these words of mine is like a house built on a rock. So certainly Jesus intends his disciples to follow all the words that he's just given in the sermon. He goes on, for the road that leads to perdition is wide and spacious. Another translation of perdition is destruction. So the imagery here seems to be that there is a wide road with a wide gate, which goes to destruction, which is very easy. It's very easy to go on that road. There's lots of people traveling it, large crowds are going through, it's very easy. A lot of translations actually have the word here as easy. It is easy road to travel. And it's comfortable as well. 
Meanwhile, according to Jesus' imagery, there's a tiny little gate which leads to a hard road, but that's the gate you need to take if you want to avoid destruction. So think about the richness of this image here. It's like every most people are following this crowd and it's very easy to go along with the crowd onto this wide road through the wide gate. But if you really want to get to the right destination, you have to make the effort of getting out of the crowd, despite how much it's pushing and jostling, and go down the narrow gate instead. It's a very cool image. So what is the destruction that Jesus mentions here? Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Given what Jesus has said earlier in the sermon about being in danger of hellfire, I think Jesus is referring to hell. That is the destruction. If you take the wide road, you will end up in hell. And Jesus adds information here. He says, many do take that road. So notice the strength of this teaching here. Jesus teaches that many people end up in hell. Now, he doesn't say most. He doesn't say all, thank goodness. But he does use the word many. And in Jewish culture, that basically meant a large amount of people. So at a minimum here, we can say the view that there is no one in hell which some people do believe, that's not tenable. This verse would seem to rule that out. There are many in hell. Whatever we take many to mean, surely it means at least one. In context, this is a warning to Jesus' hearers. He says it's very easy to get swept up in the current of the world and end up away from the kingdom of God. That's the teaching. Verse 14, it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life. So again, Jesus emphasizes The road to hell is easy to follow, the road to heaven is hard. Following Jesus' commandments is the path to life, but it's not easy. This actually echoes Moses' statement in Deuteronomy 30 at the end of his sermon, where he says this to the Israelites, Behold, I set before you today the path of life and death. Choose life. So it's a very similar idea, and in fact, a lot of the Jewish literature in the Old Testament is about choosing righteous way or choosing the the wicked way. And Jesus finishes with this sobering statement, narrow is the gate that leads to life and only a few find it. Jesus could just be talking about his own time period here, as in at the time he's speaking, people in his time struggled to enter the kingdom of heaven since at that point they didn't have Jesus' guidance. If that view is correct, since Jesus has come to show us the way to the kingdom, we have an advantage and it's now easier for us. So maybe if we want to soften this a bit, it could be right to say that Jesus, in his time, only a few were finding the kingdom of God. But thanks to the benefits of the Gospels written down and the church's guidance, maybe more than a few find it these days. And that would certainly, uh, if we look at statistics of how Christianity has grown in proportion, that would seem to be the case. But we obviously we can't be sure uh, how many people end up in either destination. Let's now turn to the Catechism. We'll just share a few brief Catechism references. Paragraph 1789. This is about choosing right actions. It says, Some rules apply in every case, such as the golden rule. Whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. So here the church teaches that is a universal rule. If you want to work out whether an action is right or wrong, that rule will always apply. Paragraph 1970. This is about the new law. The law of the gospel requires us to make the decisive choice between the two ways and to put into practice the words of the Lord. It is summed up in the golden rule. Whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. This is the law and the prophets. 
Paragraph 1036, this is about hell. This is a strong teaching, by the way. The affirmations of sacred scripture and the teachings of the church on the subject of hell are a call to the responsibility incumbent upon man to make use of his freedom in view of his eternal destiny. They are at the same time an urgent call to conversion. And now it quotes here from Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Paragraph 1696 about life in Christ. The way of Christ leads to life, but a contrary way leads to destruction. The gospel parable of the two ways remains ever-present in the catechesis of the church. It shows the importance of moral decisions for our salvation. There are two ways, the one of life, the other of death, but between the two there is a great difference. Lastly, paragraph 2609, this is about Jesus' own prayers. Once committed to conversion, the heart learns to pray in faith. Faith is a filial adherence to God beyond what we feel and understand. It is possible because the beloved Son gives us access to the Father. He asks us to seek and to knock since he himself is the door and the way. So that's an interesting application of this verse as well. While on the literal sense, the way to the narrow path, according to the context, would probably be following Jesus' commandments. And here the Catechism says we can consider the way and the door, and in fact the gate, Jesus calls himself the gate in John, could actually be considered to be Jesus himself. So that's a nice way to wrap this passage up. I hope you learned something new. It's fascinating to dive into the text of Matthew. Please continue to keep this ministry in your prayers. Consider becoming a partner of the ministry as well. There's some information about that in the show notes. And continue to share it around. Thanks. We'll see you tomorrow.